Welcome in, ladies and gentlemen, to another edition of the Jones Report. Tyler Jones here with you. So glad to have you with us. Coming up on today's show, going to be joined by Brian Haney, the voice of the Kansas Jayhawks and director of the Rock Chuck Round Ball Classic. We will get Brian's thoughts on what's going on with the uh, Kansas Athletic Department, football and basketball-wise, conference realignment, and also he'll tell us about a, a great event going on there in uh, Lawrence next week. Uh, benefiting uh, kids uh, battling cancer. We'll uh, get all the insights on that and how you can get involved when uh, Brian joins us coming up in a little while from right now. After that, we'll stay in Lawrence and uh, check in with uh, Coach Bo for Coach Bo's Football Fix presented by O'Connor Advisory Group with the latest happenings in the NFL and in college football when uh, Bo joins us. And then we'll have our Tom Fullery Story of the Week coming up at the end of the show. And as always, we'll have our Big 12 breakdown and uh, also look ahead to the NBA Finals. He is back. Thomas Bridges uh, rejoins us. Uh, his much-anticipated return. Tom, uh, always a, a pleasure. What's uh, what's going on? Oh, you know, trying to live my best life. Summer just started and, you know, you've been over to my place. Got the balcony with the pool views. So I've been, um, been uh, you know, checking out what's going on at the pool haven't been out there myself had a busy decently busy weekend and work has been keeping me busy but um nobody out there right now but it was as soon as i got home i'm like man what do these people do as soon as i got home from work man it was popping i was like all right so you know here soon i'll have to check it out and see what the see what the pool action is all about because it's you know, it's been in full swing this past weekend. So, yeah, uh, weather's been here has been pretty nice. Yeah, I was in uh, D.C. this weekend. We uh, we kicked off the summer of Jones and, uh, you know, had the birthday celebration and all that. And, you know, it was a great time. Orioles game. Yeah, I went to Baltimore, too. I survived Baltimore. I was about uh, to say, yeah, you're back in, in one piece. Uh, in fact, uh, I did have to deal with an asshole while I was in in Baltimore. Um, I, Tom, tell me if this is a party foul on, on my part or not. And then, you know, we can let you be a fair judge. Um, I was at the Orioles Rangers game on Sunday and it was like the eighth inning. There were some open seats behind first base. And so i moved down with, uh, my buddy, uh, who I was with and this guy behind us, he's a yelling, uh, we can we can hear him. He says, "Wow, I've had this perfect view all game, and these guys just show up and block my perfect view." And before I could say anything over to my buddy, he comes over and sits next to me and says, "Well, since you guys blocked my view, I just figured I'd, I'd sit next to you guys." And we're like, oh, "Okay." And uh, and my, my friend Ryan, he says, "What just happened?" And then the guy just jumps in and says what do you mean happened? And we're like, oh, all right, we're moving. And so we just moved seats down further. Uh, so, yeah, I was harassed in Baltimore. Uh, but nonetheless, other than that, it was it was a great trip, Tom. I guarantee that guy probably didn't have those tickets either. He probably moved down earlier and probably was like, all right. Right. Let me oh, figure out was... a reason to move down again. And a guy, the guy was a total loser, like, it's Memorial Day weekend, the Sunday afternoon, middle-aged guy, probably drunk as hell, and he's at a game with nobody. Not he was just by friend, himself. No friends with him, no kids, nothing like 
just a just a total loser. Like, go to hell, man. You know, what I mean? that's what they call the bar- Baltimore hello. Yeah, yeah, I guess so. So that was uh, that was my experience there in Baltimore. But great trip uh, there in D.C. Seeing all the uh, the sights and being a tourist and announcing my uh, my twenty twenty four presidential campaign run as well. Uh, yeah, you got uh, about you got, you got about two more election terms. Uh, you know, I could push for a constitutional amendment, you know, and then get that through. Then I'm good. <laughs> I mean, there's always a workaround for anything, you know. So. I'd, I'd vote for a 27-year-old before I'd vote for an 80-year-old again. <laughs> uh, I won't comment any further. I'll, I'll leave it at that. <laughs> um, <laughs> we, Jones 2024 will uh, will make America again. We'll just start over from scratch. You know, we'll we'll hit the reset button on America. Uh, with that said, you know, speaking of America, Tom. Uh, I mentioned we got a lot of stuff to discuss. We'll get to the NBA side just a bit. We know the NBA Finals matchup with the uh, Heat and the Nuggets, but uh, you know, one thing I've been seeing that's just been crossing my feed and getting a lot of attention on social media and the internet the last couple of days is what's going on with uh, with Sam Ponder of ESPN, uh, host of NFL Countdown, somebody that Tom and I we've admired for a long time, done a great job. Uh, and, you know, she covered college football for the longest time and then made her way to the uh, the NFL side of things. And and uh, it's taken, you know, a lot of a lot of heat, some backlash from people, others uh, standing by her side uh, for comments that uh, she made. And, and I'll read you what she said. So this is not taken out of context, uh, just word for word. Uh, Riley gains the. Uh, former Kentucky swimmer was uh, was talking about the transgender athlete issue, and uh, Sam Ponder said, "I barely said anything publicly about this issue, and I've had so many people message me, stop me in the street to say thank you, plus tell me stories about girls who are afraid to speak up for fear of lost employment, being called hateful. It's not hateful to demand fairness in sports for girls. It's all Sam Ponder said. Very simple." That was followed up. The USA Today, who is even more woke uh, than some of the 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 mainstream media that you think of out there, like ESPN and some of these others, uh, wrote a column calling Sam a bigot for that tweet there. I'm like, really? That's, that's a bit harsh. And And Sam had a wonderful response saying, biology is not bigotry. Loving people does not require the absence of boundaries. Simply put, two sentences and, and well-educated. And, you know, I, I've said, we've talked about this before, the Leah Thomas issue in the past and, and all this. And, you know, I'll, I'll continue to reiterate that when it comes to this in, this transgender athlete thing, and it's I feel like it's at, uh, it's a bigger topic than it's ever been before, and it was a huge topic last year. I've been consistent and I'll say the same thing and, and maybe I need to be louder about it myself and, and, you know, make it clear how I stand, put my foot in the sand and, and, you know, support those that, that can't speak for themselves in this sense. But, you know, if, if you want to live your life, you know, you know, your transgender lifestyle, whatever, that's your business. That's not any of my business to say, you know, how you want to live your life, but, we got to draw the line when it comes to competitiveness in sports. And and I've seen people say, well, you know, less than 1% of 
athletes are transgender and it only, you know, it doesn't affect that many people. Well, you know, it affects everyone else that it's not. And if we, you know, live in this culture where if we want to promote feminism and, and women, where are the feminists, where are the women taking up when women's sports are being destroyed in this country? So uh, I say that all that to say that, you know, we, we got to draw a line in the sand here. We got to do better than this. Um, personally, I, I'm, you know, I, I give a lot of kudos to people like Sam Ponder and Sage Steele for having a lot of courage for speaking up when their male colleagues are not standing up for them at ESPN and others. Uh, you know, I've heard you know, people like Dan Dockich and Clay Travis and others, you know, share their thoughts as well. And, and, you know, it's not a bigotry. This is about fairness. This is about saving women's sports and letting them have a, a seat at the table just to make things fair. That's all we're asking for. And Tom, I don't think that we're asking too much here. I think people like Sam are personally re- are, 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 are very reasonable in, in what they're saying here. This is not bigotry. This is just, a, just very reasonable here. And even that's not enough for some people. Right. No, I agree with her. And, you know, I, I don't think whatever she said wasn't, it's not like I, I've heard some other takes from other people and they've come off as maybe all, you know, ulterior mood, motives um, in that realm. But what she said didn't seem too far out. It was, you know, I, I think on the flip side of kind of what you said, just across all opinions, I just think the uh, the outrage bait, the love for outrage or something to be mad about, oh, like this goes for everybody, is just gone too far. Like you, you know, it's like um, one of my favorite people said this quote, and uh, he said, he said, you know, I'm I'm, and this was years before any of the woke thing or any of the the political climate got even worse than it was. He said, you know, I'm, I'm practicing not having an opinion on things. And I thought that was, you know, some people said, well, you, you, you know, it's your responsibility to have an opinion on things. And it's like, well, no, like some of the times you don't need to have an opinion or it's not always good to be, you know, outraged on things just to fit in, with what everybody else is talking about. I think that was his, I think that was his meaning behind that of like, well, you don't have to, you know, even if you don't know a whole lot about something, or even if you don't know a lot about something, you don't have to make your mind up about something that you don't know a lot about, or you don't have to have that opinion and to fit in with everybody throwing a a, a bitch fit about something. Um, But but what what you said about Ponder, I think, is right. Um, I don't think she went over. I don't think she said anything um, that would make her a bigot. I think she's absolutely right. I mean, um, a lot of people don't like this either. Both sides don't like Dave Chappelle. But what Dave Chappelle did say, uh, you know, he and, and it's he he's a comedian, and they tried to cancel him, but you can never cancel Dave Chappelle. And right. I am liberal as they come. Um, but what Dave Chappelle said about LeBron James, well, you know, if we're doing that, well then let's, what if LeBron James wanted to go to the WNBA where he would score a hundred points? Right. Pretty harsh. That's pretty blunt. I mean, but coming from Dave Chappelle, what do you expect? Is he wrong? 
And, and and to your point, to add to that, so this article that called Sam Ponder a bigot in USA Today, uh, it argued one of the stupidest things I've ever heard. Uh, this article said that, you know, if you want to talk about fairness, what about the fact that, you know, LeBron gets to play for the Lakers and nobody else has LeBron? Or, you know, all these star players that, that – you know, gang up together, you know, and have you create these super teams and stuff like that. I'm like, well, at the end of the day, they're still playing against biological men. They're not in, it's limited who they can play against. You know, they're not playing against college players. They're not playing against, you know, the, the best players in Europe. No, those are the best players in the world on that stage. Uh, you know, to say that, you know, to bring LeBron or something into this and say that that has anything to do with uh, with Sam Bonder's case that, oh, well, you know, because Sam, because LeBron James gets to play in the NBA, that biological men should be allowed to play in women's sports is a is just a, a, a stupid uh, opinion, to say the least. I mean, yeah, it's just kind of like, OK, Um <clears throat> you know, we we've talked about the Leah Thomas thing before, and you know, I'm I am supportive of of you know trans rights, trans movements. Be over whoever you want to be, but when it does come to competitive sports, it does get a little that that does get a little bit different. Um, you know, I'm I you know how I feel about uh, politics. You know, how I feel about religion. You know how I feel about all of it. We've been friends for a long time, and you know all those things. I don't have to say those things. So you know that I am the furthest thing from a science denier um, at all. And, uh, you know, that even even being far, well, I'm, I'm not super far left, but I'm liberal enough that, you know, it's it's weird to me how, you know, being like super pro-science and not super pro religion is kind of related to the liberal side of things or the left side of things. But then at the same time, you talk about, you know, what we talk about with, with the women's sports and, you know, it's kind of contradictive that, you know, sometimes some of the left people deny science, you know, and I, I feel like the right denies science every day. Like right. the right's the worst about denying science, and the left is usually like pro science, pro women's bodies, pro I mean, not pro abortion. I'm pro women's rights, pro trans rights, 110%. But at the same time, don't do that and then deny science about biology and be like, okay, like there's some advantage there. It's, it's science. It's it's just I mean maybe I'll get some flag back on this I don't give a shit I know who I voted for and I know what I believe, but it's it's science baby it's science it's biology it's science it is what it is you can take all I mean you could do the hormones you can do everything like that but at the end of the day like there is some advantage there from being a biological male to begin with it's just that's just the way it is I mean I. Right. I and I won't hear it any other way. I mean, that's just oh, what it is. I'm not going to come out and tweet all shit about it. And I'm not going to go public and talk on News Channel Fox 23 about how I feel. But, I mean, it's just what it is. That's just what it is. Right. Well, and, and uh, you know, we, we see, you know, 
I, I'm, I put it this way, you know, if you want to shop at Target or drink Bud Light, you know, or if you don't want to shop at Target, don't want to drink Bud Light. That's your prerogative. You know, you do what you want. You know, that's that's not what uh, I'm here to promote any boycotts or anything like that. That's not what we're doing here. We're talking I mean, about I'll, the I'll issue. Drink, I'll drink a Bud Light while I shop at Target. I'll, I, I'm not I don't I'm not a fan of the boycott shit. The Bud Light thing is hilarious to me. Um. You know, but the, our our purpose here is not about promoting boycotts or anything like that. But you know, to give a voice to you know that the side that isn't spoken for. You know, when when Sam Ponder's not having very many allies, you know, and and others that stand up for saying what's truth and what's fact. That's when we've gone too far, and we have to uh, live in reality, and we can't allow these things to continue to happen of women seeing their opportunities taken away from them. We have, I mean, put it this way, I'll, I'll wrap up on this one we'll on because we got other things to get to Tom, but we have spent how many years uh, in American sports promoting women's sports and title nine and opportunities for women. And are we willing just to sit idly by and let that all go away and wipe away and let this happen? Uh, where are the feminists? Where where are the women standing up for women uh, to see their sports survive and not be taken over by men and just not and be okay with it? So that's where I'm at in all this. Kudos to Sam, Sage Steele, and others uh, for continuing the good fight and you know speaking up for those that can't speak up for themselves that can't talk in these uh, circumstances. As far as I'm concerned, moving on, uh, NBA Finals. Let's uh, address that. Uh, the Miami Heat taking on the Denver Nuggets. Tom, uh, kudos to the Heat for getting there as an eight seed. Pretty remarkable, unbelievable. Uh, no question about it. Uh, remember, they lost their first game in the postseason, losing the play-in tournament game. Uh, we're on the brink of elimination there before the playoffs even started. Now that here they are in the NBA Finals. Uh, had a 3-0 series lead. Let the Celtics come all the way back, take it 3-3, and they found a way to win in Game 7, dominated Game 7 there. Um, the Heat, it's a terrific story. Uh, what they've done, Eric Spolstra has done an incredible job. Jimmy Butler's been fantastic this postseason. Uh, they've done a lot of things right uh, this year. And and before, we we love on Denver and – and everything. I'll just take a moment here to, to to recognize the the job that that Miami's done. This has been one of the best stories we've seen in all of sports this year for them to to be at this point, Tom. It's pretty remarkable, and uh, I'm I'm as shocked as anybody they're they're in this position here. Yeah, so am I. And I'll tell you what, Eric Spolstra, I've been singing his praises since the beginning of these playoffs. And, but I did not think they would make it here. I did not think so. And and to be fair, I did think that the Celtics, after they won game six, I thought, yep, they're going to come back and do it for the first time. And to be fair to the Celtics, too, well, to be fair across the board, the Celtics had much better players. There's no reason they should have shit the bed um, like they did. They should have never even been down 3-0. Um, and so for them to come back and then bomb it in front of their home fans – I mean, Missoula's got to be – I don't know if he's going to be done this year, but if he doesn't – they don't win the finals next year, make the finals, he's got to be finished. There's other better coaches out there. Um, the 76ers just hired Nick Nurse. 
I think that's a great hire for them. But I'll tell you what, Eric Spolstra, he even takes this series to six or granted seven. Um, I mean, if his legacy is not already cemented, you know, before this with the LeBron era, this does it even more. This speaks more for Eric Spolstra than any other season that I've seen him coach the Miami Heat. Uh, this is just a, a brilliant coaching job. He outsmarted the Celtics the whole time with less talent. Jimmy Butler's been incredible. Uh, I mean, the whole team has just gone together. And to be fair, I don't think they're going to beat the Nuggets, but I'm going to say we're giving predictions just real quick up front. I'm going to say Nuggets in six. I don't think it's going to be easy. Uh, I, I, I'm going with the gentleman's sweep. I'll go with the Nuggets in five uh, to get this one done. I think, you know, you look at this Denver team and they've had all this time to rest. I've heard people even mention, like, is it too much rest? What? No. <laughs> I mean, come on now. Let's let's not, you know, overthink this here. Um, they've had all this time to rest, enjoy themselves. They've been the best team in the Western Conference all year. They've dominated Jokic has been fantastic. He's proven all the doubters wrong, myself included. Um, you know, it, it, and he did what he needed to do in the postseason. He stepped up in crunch time. Uh, he was fantastic. And Jamal Murray has been the perfect compliment. Mike Malone's done a great job coaching that team. Denver's got everything going for them, and this is their championship to lose here. Tom, I, I don't think that there's a – such thing as too much rest here. I'd much rather be in Denver's position than Miami's. In uh, Miami came off of a long seven-game series, an emotional series that you know took a lot to get that series done, and losing three in a row like that. Denver coming off that you know series where they just you know ran the Lakers out of the building, winning four in a row, and were the better team clearly um i know they've had a few days off whatever i don't care all the momentum is denver's direction as far as i'm concerned it's not even close oh no they're well rested they've been able to watch that full seven game series you know miami has to come to denver first uh i mean they've i think even the if i'm not mistaken even if the celtics would have won they would have had to come to denver so you know they're eagerly awaiting. Um, they were they were eagerly awaiting one of those two teams, and they've been able to sit back in Denver, kick it big, not trip, and that was it. So, you know, I think for them, they uh, I think they're you know super grateful for that, and I would give Eric Spolstra the upper hand in terms of coaching over Mike Malone. I thought there for a while in the past two seasons. If Jamal Murray wouldn't have got injured, maybe the Nuggets would have done better. But I do think Mike Malone was there on the hot seat for a little bit, to be honest with you, past couple of seasons. And so for him, you know, that's got to feel good. Um, and, you know, Miami's on a tear, but this Denver team feels different. Jokic feels different. He should have been the MVP. Obviously, hindsight's twenty twenty, but he's played absolutely out of his mind. Maybe one of the best big man runs I've ever seen Tim Duncan-esque in these playoffs. I mean, he's been absolutely incredible. 
Uh, he's dominated every night. He's been the, one of the main reasons other than a Jamal Murray that the Denver Nuggets dominated like they have. And I, I do think they continue that, but I will not, I will not be caught up again saying I doubt the Miami Heat. I will still say six. Nuggets in six. I would say, Tom, the one thing that Miami has going for them compared to Denver, if there was one team that matches up well uh, defensively with Denver, it'd be this Miami team. Bam on Joker. Um, you know, they get Tyler Hero back. Uh, I think it's going to be around game two or three, something to that extent. And, you know, we know how good of a defender Jimmy Butler is in company here. Um, you know, th- these things are all about matchups. And in this sense, if of all the teams that have faced Denver to this point, this Miami team is the best suited uh, to go up against what uh, what Denver brings to the table here. If if anybody's got a shot to slow down this Denver team matchup wise, Miami is the is the toughest challenge they've seen yet. Just on that on that side of what they like to do and what Miami does well, and that they're they're super well coached. I mean, they are incredibly well coached. Um, I mean, maybe I'm trying to think who. So Nuggets beat. I'm trying to think. Nuggets beat. Um, well, who the Minnesota, the Phoenix, and Los Angeles. So Monty Williams gone. Um, I don't think Minnesota fired their coach. I can't even think of who it was. I always want to say Tom Thibodeau, but obviously no, it's not Tom Thibodeau. But he's unanimous with the Minnesota Timberwolves for some reason in my mind. Monty Williams fired. I think Monty Williams is a great coach. Um, Lakers, I was surprised it was a 4-0 sweep, but then again, I wasn't. Um, Mike Malone, I think, had something to prove. But at the same time, this this Heat team, this storybook, baby. It's storybook. Um, I do think they put up a good fight. You mentioned they're good. You know, the matchup's good for the Heat. Um, you know, this might be the best matchup, you know, person to person, player to player that the Nuggets have faced all uh, postseason. So I'd be interested to see now if, if the Heat can come out and still one of these games, you know, either, what, either Thursday night or Sunday night. I'd uh, be very yeah. interested. Be very interested when it goes back to Miami. Um, you know, the Heat have proven me wrong all postseason long. I did not – I couldn't believe when they got three up on the Celtics, and then I doubted them again uh, when when the Celtics, you know, came back and tied the series off of a, a hell of a Derek White play. That If the Celtics would have won and then won the championship, that, would, that play would have went down in NBA history, and it still should, but um, – that play would have went down and it would have haunted the, the heat just like Ray Allen's three haunts me every postseason. Yeah. Um, I'm looking at now when you look at this series, who's got more riding on the line? Is it Joker trying to establish himself and get that ring? Or is it Jimmy Butler here? I know that the heat are an eight seed, but, they have not 
played at all like they're just happy to be here. Like they have been a motivated, determined team from the very beginning of this NBA playoffs. Um, who's got more at stake, do you think? Is it Joker or is it Butler here? Who's 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 this series bigger for their legacy? Oh, I think it's Joker for sure, only because the Heat have got this far as an eight seed. They're playing with house money. Joker is on the line. I mean, he's been great for the past couple of seasons. If they don't do it now, win. And I think this could turn the tide for the Nuggets in the next couple of years. If they lose here, it could. I don't think they're they're not going to be a dynasty esque like the Spurs. No, no, no one fears the Nuggets going forward. Right, right. But I mean, they'll be good, but they're just going to be another good team. Right. Yeah. And so I think the Heat, for the Heat, they want to make a storybook Cinderella esque deal. If they don't, then you know what? Still hats off to them. The Nuggets have been so dominant uh, at this point. You know, that would be heartbreaker esque even going into the next season of like, we almost had it. We lost an eight seed like the rest of them. Um, I mean, the Heat are playing with nothing to lose. They shouldn't even be here. Right. Yeah, I get that. Um, very good point. So I mean, they, sh- they should be there. They deserve it. They've worked hard and they've, they've got that far. But from a betting man perspective, like, you know, if you would ask, honestly, if you asked that Heat team, did you think you would be in the finals? Honestly, in a room, if you just wrote down yes, no answer, I'd say 50% of Jimmy Butler would have said yes. I don't know who else would have said yes if they honestly thought they would be in the finals after losing to the Hawks in the play-in game. Right. If they were honest. Oh, I yeah. Yeah, I agree. Um, now, what I, I look at, with Joker in particular, you mentioned of this being a bigger legacy game for him. Tom, I've been so impressed with Joker of, you know, the thing that we said about him for the longest time was that his numbers were inflated against bad competition. Then he folded in the postseason in the past. And here he was, he, you know, he slayed the giant of Kevin Durant. He slayed LeBron James and Anthony Davis. And he outplayed all of them, might I add. In in those previous rounds, um, and now you get a chance to take on this Miami team that's experienced. It's been here before, and and you know is a a very worthy team to be in this position. And Jimmy Butler's been incredible this postseason. I think Tom, we might have to sit here if, if Joker is the Finals MVP and you know gets it done. If they win it all and he's Finals MVP. And has those two MVPs they had the last couple seasons as well. It's going to be hard to not call Joker the best player in the NBA if uh, if they get it done here, if they get this this ring and he gets the Finals MVP after those two Finals he's had previously. It's going to be hard not to call him the best player in the league. I mean, I would even be down to call him the best player right now. I mean, Giannis is great. Embiid has shown flashes of being really great. I mean, he just takes his team to a whole nother level. I mean, Embiid has Harden. You know, Jamal Murray's great, but he's not on the level in terms of notoriety that James Harden is. You know, Giannis, the Bucks, they've already won one. Um, you know, 
you talk about coaches, Mike Malone, I thought, and I think a lot of other people that might be listening out there, if you follow the NBA, could have thought Mike Malone could have got fired a couple of years ago. And if it wasn't for the Jamal Murray injury, I don't think we're talking about Mike Malone as the coach of the Denver Nuggets right now. So he's kind of had a bounce back type type uh, storyline to him. Um, you know, no hate on Mike Malone, but Mike Malone feels very Terry Stotts to me. That's so I get out of Mike Malone, but he's he's proven me wrong. Former Blazers coach Terry Stotts. That's who I yeah. figured they'd be. Yeah. But they've they've um you know they've proven me wrong and and they have a great thing going. I just looked at the tickets to get in. I thought about going to Denver, not for the game, for other reasons this weekend. And looked at the Sunday game just to get in off a of stub of or vivid seats. One ticket to get in, $530. Woo. I believe it. Yeah. Um, should be fun. Uh, good series. I like Denver in five. Tom's got Denver in a six. We'll see what happens. Uh, Brian Haney said to join us coming up later on uh, in about 10 or so minutes from right now. But before we get to that, let's set the scene with our Big 12 breakdown. we got a couple things we want to touch on here. Uh, on the breakdown. Let's start with the latest on the Colorado front. We told you last week a new report from Barry Trammell, the Oklahoman, that a deal to bring Colorado to the Big 12 was in the works, that it was very close. Um, and then we found out this week a little more from Dennis Dodd, kind of backing up what, what Barry Trammell had said. And then on top of that, that Deion Sanders is pushing for the move and that the interest from this program apparently starts with Deion Sanders wanting to move to the Big 12. And I find that fascinating. One, welcome. I would love to have De Deion Sanders in the Big 12. Uh, I know that we got some personalities in this league, but Deion might come in and be the face of the new Big 12 uh, based on that front um, in actuality. So, yes, love to have Deion and Colorado both. That's great. But the flip side, I say to this, too, I'm like, really? You're going to listen to your coach that's never coached an FBS football game before and let him call the shots and tell you what to do? I mean, apparently Lincoln Riley had no idea Oklahoma was going to join the SEC until it was announced, supposedly. Um, I, I, it's one of those deals. I, I don't know if I can take you seriously if, if you're relying on your head coach to make decisions like that. But nonetheless, with that being said, Colorado, if if it's if Dion is in for the the long haul, then and they're following their football coach, if they're doing what he wants to do, that's a commitment to football that is a change to what Colorado has been. When they left the Big 12, they followed the money of the Pac 12, so they thought. They followed the prestige, the academics, the West Coast elite mindset of the Pac-12 when they went that direction. If you're going to the Big 12, the money, it's not a huge difference, but there is more TV viewership, better TV deal. But it's really about the football. And that's what's been talked about here, that Dion wants to get back to the state of Texas. They want to recruit in Texas and everything here. Uh, by all means, if if that's what brings Colorado to the Big 12, let's uh, – Let's see it happen. And for everyone else, 
for those Texas schools that are there right now, and I would add in Oklahoma State to this mix too, Tom, uh, Colorado, as exciting as they would be, we've seen how good of a recruiter Dion is. That That is going to be a problem for other schools of how well he will recruit in the state of Texas. Oh, gotcha. I mean, yeah, he's just, you know, not to mention just his legacy in terms of a, a football player, but just his personality and his charisma. I mean, people are going to want to play for him. I mean, name and, and another. Coach, he coached high school football. football in Texas. He knows all the coaches. Exactly. I mean, I can tell you the Texas schools don't want him in there. <laughs> I wouldn't. Right. Um, and yeah. uh, weed's legal in Colorado, so. <laughs> yeah. Uh, watch out. Uh, I know the Dion's tried to say Colorado's not cold. Uh, don't believe that one, but he, he is a, a hell of a salesman. And, you know, Travis Hunter's going to be there this year. Um, you know, you got his son, who's a four-star quarterback, uh, also coming in. They got some real talent. They've lost a lot, too. I'm not expecting a lot from Colorado this year in year one. I know they got some big games on national TV. They're going to be on big noon kickoff the first two weeks of the year. Um, there's a lot of excitement right now for that Colorado football program. They're not going to be that great this year, but Tom, I mean, you know, we, we mentioned momentum in the NBA finals. If Colorado, because here's the timetable we're looking at here, folks, based on the granite rights and everything. If Colorado's coming to the big 12, it'd be next season. It would be next year when Oklahoma and Texas leave and possibly other schools coming with them. But here's what you're looking at, Tom. Colorado potentially in the league as early as next year, okay? And already with the first year under the belt of uh, of Dion, of kind of cleaning up that program, being in the league that he wants to be in, and then also getting recruited to the state of Texas, they would come in right away and be a threat immediately with already getting the, the kinks out of the way this past year, the Big 12, or in the Pac-12. I mean, yeah, it would be, it would be something, and it could move. It could move pretty quickly. I mean, this is not, you know, I, I mean, somewhat of it's hearsay, but at the same time, I would not be shocked if this goes down. Right, and then there's a, the domino effect, right? Do you take the other three, four corner schools with you? Um, the ACC has got their problems. Do you wait for that league to implode? Do you try to go for some of your basketball-only members like UConn, Gonzaga, whatever it may be? You get Colorado. Then all of a sudden, all the dominoes start to fall. And Brett Yormark in this Big 12 conference is at a position of strength. They all of a sudden, if you can pull Colorado in, then you have some some authority then all of a sudden you're not just hoping to get somebody there you're in control you're 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 getting to decide who you want in at that point and and, and coming at this at, at, at a position of strength is a, is a game changer here tom no we know how much your mac is a headhunter already and so uh i mean the best thing one of the best things big 12 ever has done so far is to bring him in i mean is is you know, you you got to wonder what Bob Bolsby's doing. Maybe he's eating at 
23rd Street Brewing with David Beatty. Right. Something. Um, yeah, things aren't good, I imagine, for Bob Bowlesby these days. What do you do next? Let, let's let's play that scenario here for a second, Tom. Let's say you bring in Colorado. Do you go ahead and say, all right, we want those other three, four corner schools and get them in? Or do you kind of wait for the ACC to potentially implode here? Like, I, I'm at, I think you try to go all in. You try to, uh, you're, you're playing like, you're playing like the board game risk here. I think you try to take as much as you can and keep going. Maybe you can get some ACC teams in the future, but I, I feel like you're, you're best if you just go after it and, you know, figure out the schedule and all that stuff later here. I mean, you can, uh, you can have strength in numbers here. I, I, I think you, you march on ahead and see who you can get. I mean, yeah, if you get Colorado, I think, if you get Colorado, I think the next two dominoes to fall would be Arizona, Arizona State. Yeah. I think Utah, they've been pretty it seems like they've been pretty stingy and they're they're it seems from what I understand, they seem pretty pretty pro fuck BYU. <laughs> We're not gonna go in the Mormons' footsteps. We're gonna do our own thing. But I think you could easily get Arizona, Arizona State. I think in a pretty quickly. I think so. Um, after that, I mean, you know, I think Arizona wants to be in the league too, but they're trying to find an excuse, a way to get there. Right. I mean, I think if you got those two and then let's say you could get Arizona state, Arizona with Colorado. And then can you imagine if they picked up UConn Gonzaga and, you know, with the recent success of San Diego state, if you got them, them be incredible. Right, I, and I don't think out. I think you could get two of those three. I don't know about Gonzaga. Well, I mean, hell, UConn too. I mean, shit, San Diego State and UConn. I mean, you want to talk about the rich get richer in the basketball conference of the the premier basketball conference of America? Holy shit! I yeah. mean, that would be, that would be that. I mean, that would that's like the. That's like the Euro Championship soccer leagues, man. I mean, that's that's the super leagues. That's cheating at that point. Yeah. Um, all right. Uh, one more note on the Big 12 breakdown before we bring in uh, Coach Bo here, Tom. Um, Women's College World Series getting started this weekend. Also have the uh, college baseball tournament, the Road to Omaha, uh, begins this week. We'll talk more about the uh, College World Series when we get closer to it. But the Women's College World Series – Oklahoma and Oklahoma State are both in it. Two of the top three teams uh, in women's uh, college softball. Uh, this Oklahoma team, historically good, broke the all-time uh, wins record in a row. They've only lost one game all year. Oklahoma State's been fantastic this season as well in their own right. Tom, um, I fully expect Oklahoma and uh, Patty Gasso, the greatest softball coach in the history of the game to to win another national title here. I'd be surprised if they don't otherwise. But uh, Oklahoma State, I, I know that as much tension has been made to Oklahoma, and rightfully so. I mean, they, they've, they're doing a historically good thing over the last few years. Um, as much attention has been made here. Oklahoma State's been quietly really good, and they've done, you know, been in the College World Series here, you know, a couple times the last few years as well. If, if we weren't talking about the historic 
presence of this Oklahoma team, we'd be talking about how great Oklahoma State is right now. Uh, I mean, I, I think that they deserve some credit, too, for, for making it to this point. I mean, it's crazy. Like, you look at the first-team All-Americans, it's like five Sooners, two Oklahoma State Cowgirls. You look at the second team, it's like two OU Sooners and then like three Oklahoma State Cowgirls. Like, the teams are stacked. It's a great time for softball. It's always been a good time for softball in the state of Oklahoma. And then on the flip side, you look at it, you you mentioned baseball. Both OU and Oklahoma State, have chances to go to Omaha. There's there's super regional in Stillwater. I forget where OU's at. They might I don't think they're in Norman. They might be. Um and Texas looks good. TCU looks good. Um yeah, I think you got a shot for a couple different Big 12 teams potentially to be in Omaha when it's all said and done. Um but as far as the women's college world series goes, um Tom, you mentioned like all those all Americans on this OU team. It feels like a UConn women's basketball deal going on. It's a historic time for this program in Norman right now with all the talent they're bringing in. Patty Gasso's getting the top players every single year to her program. They're in the College World Series every year. It feels like they're winning the championship almost every year, or at least every other year for that matter. Um, what what a time for that, that Oklahoma program. Uh, I mean, that's – for as much as we talk about football, basketball, whatever – the best program in that campus, maybe even in the Big 12 and all of sports right now, is that Oklahoma softball program. Yeah, I don't think you're lying. I mean, their gymnastics pretty stout, too. Yeah. Gymnastics pretty stout, too, but damn. I mean, that's that's domination on a whole new level. They've, they've, they hit – they score like no other team I've ever seen. I mean, they're automatic. That's It's an automatic, like, almost eight runs a game easy. Like, you know, you might be able to hit against them, but you're not going to outscore them. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, it's uh, it's something special what they got going on with uh, that program there. We'll be watching, and uh, we'll be exciting to see for sure. Coach Bo set to join us next. Tom Fullery later on in the show. Uh, before Coach Bo, though, uh, we're going to hear from Brian Haney, voice of the Kansas Jayhawks, coming up on the other side. Stay with us. <laughs> Join us now, the Jones Sport this week. Pleased to welcome in one of the best play-by-play guys in the country, but uh, an even better person. It is uh, our buddy Brian Haney, the voice of the Kansas Jayhawks, who joins us right now. Also the director and founder of the uh, Rock Chalk Roundball Classic in Lawrence. We'll be talking about that here in uh, just a moment, and he joins us right now. Brian, always a uh, pleasure anytime we get the chance to chat, my friend. How are things going, man? Man, thank you for that really wonderful introduction. Always great to be on this platform with you. Everything's great. I think that uh, as we were discussing off the air, this is such a special time for Kansas athletics across the board. And we'll talk about that later, but I genuinely believe right now with Travis Goff at the top as our athletic director, Bill Self, Lance Leipold, Dan Fitzgerald coaching baseball, Ray Bouchard volleyball. You know, we may look back on this era 20 years from now and say, man, that was the golden era. Of, of Kansas athletics, Brandon Schneider taking the women to the WNIT championship. I mean, there's just so many good things going on with uh, Kansas athletics. So life is good. About to hopefully have a, another record setting weekend and raising funds for local kids fighting cancer. And, and that's the first thing we get to talk about today with you. So I'm excited about that. 
Yeah, for sure. Uh, Brian, th- this event you've been doing, uh, I was listening to your, uh, your segment with, uh, my, our, our buddy Hank Booth, uh, 15 years now, I believe it is. And, yeah. and amazing to see w- what, how far it's come. And, and I, I know that we have an audience here beyond outside of Kansas, but there's always ways for people that can't be there to contribute as well. And we'll, we'll, we'll discuss those too, but what, how did, this come together from what it was back then when it started to what what it is now? Man, that's a great question. I never would have thought in, in 2009 we'd be doing this for 15 years and surpassing a million dollars raised all time. It came from very humble beginnings. We sold $5 tickets and $1 hot dogs and probably had a roster of about 18 former players and coaches collectively, so nine on each side. Kind of like the first game of basketball, by the way. People don't realize that James Naismith's first game of basketball featured nine versus nine because uh, that's how many kids were in his class, 18. But I digress. Uh, you know, we, we just didn't have, you know, a ton of resources then to pull from because we, we just pulled in the, the area, former players that were in the Kansas City, Topeka, Lawrence area. But by year seven or eight, we started flying in guys. And by year 15, you know, we fly in probably, you know, 12 to 15 players and put them up in hotels and realize that uh, you got to spend money to, to make money for these families. And to attract the big time NBA talent, we had to start investing to get them back. And, and nowadays with name, image and likeness uh, and very generous KU donors, uh, one of which in particular, we're able to get the current men's basketball team to be a part of two of our three weekend events. And that's the other big thing. You know, we've gone from just a singular one night game to a three day weekend with a gala and uh, now bowling instead of golf. It's, it's taken on several shapes and forms over the years, but you know, that fundraising mechanism of a three day celebrity weekend last year, riding the the momentum of a national title raised over $270,000 in one weekend. And so to think where we were at 15 years ago and gosh, I don't know that first game might've raised, I don't know, maybe 18 or $20,000 to, to 270 in one weekend. You know, we're certainly very blessed and grateful. And, you know, just a quick uh, historical backdrop. The original game was for a local youth pastor who was battling cancer, had lost his leg to cancer, and it had started to metastasize through the rest of his body. And and a local pastor reached out and said, hey, would you do something to help out Brandon? Brandon White was his name. And uh, sadly, he went home to be with the Lord, uh, which is a happy thing. Don't get me wrong. But sadly, you know, lost his bout with cancer. And, uh, you know, it was one of those deals where we, we still raised the money for his widow and his uh, child that he left behind because they still had medical bills that mounts. Uh, and so after that, we decided since his fight was cancer and his passion was working with kids as a youth pastor, we'd make it about pediatric cancer. And that's what it's been ever since. And so, um, you know, really proud to say we've been able to, to bless over 50 kids in that time. Sadly, we've lost 12 of them over the years and we have banners that hang in in the gym on game night that are made as carbon copies to the retired jerseys you'd see at allen Fieldhouse, and those banners don the the child's name and the year that they were a beneficiary for our 12 that have uh that have unfortunately passed away but yeah it's it's definitely grown a great deal in that time and you know we've had uh sports center personalities come in we we've, we've had i think 128 different jayhawk players and uh now this year we have quarterback Trent Green, former Kansas City Chief, Pro Bowler, and, and NFL on CBS announcer. So we, we've got a, a lot of interesting flavor uh, and storylines beyond simply the, the raising money for these kids, which is the biggest reason why we're together. 
That's fantastic. Um, the way that this is gone about, you know, I, I remember having many conversations with you about this over the years, Brian, and, and, you know, at the core of this, as much as, you know, bringing in the players and all that is so cool to see. And for the fans to, you know, sometimes see these guys for the first time since they left college and everything, all that's cool. But at the end of the day, this is, you know, this is for the kids and, and, you know, for, uh, helping those in need and, you know, people like us, you know, have been so very fortunate, you know, to, to live the lives we live, but there's, there, there's a greater purpose behind it of, of, you know, giving back and, you know, uh, of that sense. And so for, for me, I, I look at this event of, you know, crossing those two bridges of the sports world and giving back and finding that purpose here is, is so phenomenal. Uh, the, the opportunity this brings to, to give back, but then also, you know, have a great night uh, on the same end as well. No doubt, no doubt, and, and that's well said. I think for me as, as the event director, um, you know, it, it's it's most rewarding to see these student-athletes that are now grown men and women, we do have women's players that take part, uh, coming back 20 years removed from their careers and realizing they still very much have a significant platform and position of influence to give back from and to see that light come on when uh, they see the difference they're making. And, and you see the, the huge hearts that, that some of these individuals have uh, for the kids and the cause and everything. That's so rewarding. You know, there's nothing better than on event night when we line up the 40 or 50 former players that are there and then we turn off the lights and we play the music that they used to play at old Chicago arena when Michael Jordan and Scottie Pippen were winning six titles. It's called Sirius. And, uh, and the music starts to build and the PA announcer gets on the PA and then he announces the real stars of the night. Those kids that are in our round ball starting five. And this year we have a sixth man as well, six beneficiaries, but it, it's such a powerful moment as the whole crowd is, is clapping and stomping and there's a tunnel formed of all these NBA players and, and all Big 12 All-American types, and they're all sticking their hands out to get high fives from the kids. And then you hear Adgar standing in it two feet, four inches tall from Olathe. You know, and then they now see a kid's name. And it, and it feels like you're in this uh, high-octane, high-energy NBA arena, but it's celebrating a six-year-old kid who, for that moment, in that amazing point in time, He's not thinking about chemotherapy. She's not thinking about having her hair fall out right now and, and the fact that she has to wear a hat. They're not thinking about the road ahead and an uncertain future. They're the star of the show, man. They're going to high-five from Devontae Graham or whoever. Uh, I remember Bill Self, one of my favorite round ball kids ever. Her name was Rachel. Um, he was there, and, and Rachel took to him, and he took to her like that. And she wanted to sit on Coach Self's knee for the rest of the night. She was six or seven years old at the time. And, and he just kind of bounced her on his knee like it was his own granddaughter. And they watched that game together, and, and they were just thick as thieves that night. And she wasn't thinking about her diagnosis at all. She passed away a couple of years later, but I think that her family would tell you that was one of her favorite memories in a very, very short, far too short lifetime. So the point is, uh, we, we get to do some fundraising, yes, and, and I hope it's life-changing dollars. And we're this year establishing a year-round benevolence fund where we can bless more kids 12 months out of the year, not just the six kids we pick on event night. But beyond that, um, you know, it's, it's, it's about giving them one night of, you know, cancer-free distraction where you're just focusing on being the star of the show and feeling the love in the room. And, and these kids shine in that spotlight. They really do. So I, I encourage folks to come out that, uh, 
are, are in the area or maybe going to be in the area next weekend, June the 8th through the 10th. The game still has tickets available for sale, and you can find out more on that on our website, rockchalkroundballclassic.com. But I know your show is listened to around the country and probably all parts of the world. So if folks are hearing this and they feel compelled to give just because you, you've, you've heard about the organization and, and these kiddos, and you can read their stories, by the way, their bios on our website, uh, you know, you can also give online and we'd be so grateful, but uh, thank you for the chance to talk about it. No doubt. And uh, for KU fans listening, I know you have a lot of those. Uh, I think we're going to have upwards of, of eight or nine NBA guys. We're going to have uh, Silvio De Sosa come back his first time in a Kansas uniform since he left in 2020. So that's kind of a headline making thing. Um, and, and then as I referenced uh, at least one, maybe two former Kansas city chiefs, pro bowlers, in addition to all the Kansas flavor, uh, there's a chance we're going to have numerous KU football uh, coaches there helping with the uh, the coaching going on. We have numerous other head coaches on campus that aren't basketball specific, but they want to support it that night. So that's going to be fun. But uh, just a, a whole lot of star power for the real stars of the show. These six kiddos will be celebrating on June the 8th. That's fantastic. I uh, certainly want to be a part. Uh, if you can, uh, help out in any way possible. Uh, a great event for a great cause, for sure, there in Lawrence. Brian, uh, let's uh, let's shift gears. Let me ask you about what's going on with that uh, athletic department there. Uh, you mentioned just how big of a year it was for KU with the breakthrough season of the football front, another Big 12 title in basketball, the women's team wins, the uh, women's NIT, baseball was – uh, improved, you know, got that big win over Texas in the uh, Big 12 tournament this year and everything. Uh, you know, I, I look at this, Brian, uh, of this athletic department, of everything you mentioned being a golden era of sorts, it kind of all happened in, in a, a snap of a finger like this. Just overnight, all of a sudden, we're talking about the strength within this athletic department across the board. Yeah, it really did. And you think back to, to where we were at, you know, during the pandemic, and we just felt like we'd had a a title taken away for a team that was number one in the country at the time the pandemic hit. Number one with a bullet. I mean, they were the one of one seeds, and you know how the tournament works. There's no guarantee they would have made it to the Final Four, let alone win it all. But that Kansas team in 2020 had two different National Defensive Players of the Year on the same team in Marcus Garrett and Yudoka Azabuki. They had another, you know, future pro in Devon Dotson on that team, and so. You know, that was going on. The football was was honestly not in a great spot at the time. And, and uh, we had a change at the top of our athletic department, too. And there was just a lot of turnover. And you felt like, man, you know, we were so close to winning self-second title. Pandemic takes that away. We don't know what our future in football is. It's been a revolving door there with, with five coaches in the last decade and a half. And uh, and we don't know about, you know, the, a fractured culture within the athletic department because obviously, uh, you know, times were tough economically and everybody was spread out with pandemic. You just didn't know what it was going to look like coming out of this thing. But uh, Travis Goff gets hired. Lance Leipold gets hired. Uh, Bill Self gets the, the basketball team ready to rock once we got out of the, the bubble format of the NCAA tournament. The first you know regular year of the tourney, uh, Kansas is, is right back, cutting down nets again. And then obviously you see the success that Goff's hires have started to have with Leipold in football and, and an immediate impact with Dan Fitzgerald in baseball. But, you know, what Travis did in, in coming in uh, right away before you even talk about the coaches he hired or the winning that we started achieving was he, he brought together a culture apart across the entire department 
that uh, that I think has Kansas collectively as an athletic department full of student athletes, full-time employees, coaches, trainers, staffers, whatever, that are more in unison and marching toward that same common goal than ever before. And that might sound like coach speak or, or you know, some sort of cliche, but it really is true. And we needed that. We needed that, that homegrown Kansas guy from Dodge City, Kansas, uh, class of 2002 guy that, that prioritized and valued you know, all the things that make Kansas great and, and what it means to be a Jayhawk and, uh, you know, wanted people that were looking at this as a destination job and, and their life's work and all that. And, and he got a bunch of those surrounding him and, uh, and then hired some great coaches to win right away too. So to see what Leipold did, a guy that, you know, was the fastest coach in college football history to 100 wins, something he did at Wisconsin Whitewater where he won six national championships. He goes to Buffalo, wins 30 games over his last four seasons there. We all thought he was going to build the type of football culture that would get us winning again, but we thought it probably would take three or four years to make it to a bowl game because Kansas really was so down and out. And there were some nice pieces that Les Miles' staff had left him, but this was still a program that needed a lot of, of structure and consistency that just hadn't been there uh, through a couple of, of, of coaching runs where there was just such a revolving door there, not just with the head coach, but with staffers. I'll tell you, Tyler, this upcoming season will mark the first time in 20 years that every KU football assistant coach that coached the previous season is back in their post the next season. The only change is the fact that they've got an extra voice in Sean Snyder, Bill Snyder's son and former outstanding special teams coach at Kansas State, and USC and Illinois. He's coming in as the uh, special assistant to the head coach, but all the other assistants are the same. You have continuity. You have culture. You, you have guys that, that in this program, player-wise, are sticking and staying in an era where everybody seems to be leaving programs for NIL and greener pastures and all of that. But they realize there's something special going on at Kansas. And for some of these guys, it's the first time they've had carryover in their position group coaching-wise ever. And, and they don't want to leave themselves because the coaches are finally staying. And so you know, football, as you know, winds up winning six games had one of the most exciting bowl games of the entire bowl season with the triple overtime thriller with Arkansas. And, uh, and they look like they can sustain it with a quarterback heading into the year. That's a, a preseason Heisman hopeful. We haven't had a Heisman finalist at Kansas since David James in the 1970s. Okay. That's how long it's been. Todd Reesing was amazing. Don't get me wrong, but he wasn't a finalist. And so Jalen Daniels has a chance to do that. if He can stay healthy. And this program has a chance to do some amazing things like back-to-back -back bowl games, which has only ever happened once in the history of KU football, 07-08. They could do that this year. So after having hosted ESPN College Game Day, and it was the fourth most watched game day they've ever had and, and one of the most popular ones in a long time, um, it, it's definitely a, a scenario where football is tangibly on the climb. You can see the progress every single day. They're getting incrementally better. And then when you look around the rest of the campus – Obviously, I've never seen Bill Self more motivated and invigorated than he is right now. Obviously, when you have something taken away from you that's very precious and dear to you, whether it's a loved one or your life's work or a hobby, whatever, when something's taken away, you realize how much you love it and how much you never want to have to give it away again. And what I'm alluding to is when his health scare back in March caused him to miss the postseason and Kansas as a one seed was knocked out in round two. He had to sit and watch from a hotel room, helpless and, and no control over changing the outcome of that game. 
And, uh, and then his doctor said, listen, you, you need to, to go to your, your beach home down there in Florida and, and just, you know, take some walks and sit around and read a book and, and watch TV and, and chill out for a while. That lasted about 24 hours. And he said, said man, I got to get in the portal. I can't just sit around. I, I got to work. Now, he's smart about it. He's changed to an all Mediterranean diet and he is getting a lot of exercise in. But he found out in one day in one of the most beautiful places in the country, even there, he's not ready for retirement anytime soon. And he doesn't like taking walks all day and sitting around and watching TV soaps. He, he wants to get after the basketball recruiting. And, and he has done that and then some with a tremendous offseason. So, you know, when I say golden era, I, I'm talking about the fact that the, the culture and the department is so great right now. Basketball's preseason number one with a bullet. Football has a chance to repeat as, as a bowl season team for the first time since 07, 08, and second time ever. And like you said, with Brandon Schneider and women's basketball, they got it rocking and rolling with Tiana Jackson. That looks to be a preseason top 25 team next year with all they return. So it's just a lot of good things going on. And then from a uh, facility standpoint, renovations and, and rebuilds going on in, in parts of, of football and, and the whole 11th and Mississippi project is going to be so special on that side of campus. And then Allen Fieldhouse renovations are underway to enhance the crown jewel in all of college basketball venues. And so there's just so many great things happening and uh, it's a great time to get to be a Jayhawk, no matter what kind of Jayhawk you are, if you're a fan, if you're a player, if you're somebody who works for them. And if you're like me and you're blessed to get to tell the stories of all these good things happening, Man, what a great time it is to be that guy, too. So super, super fortunate and grateful and uh, truly believe that as good as it's been of late, we sincerely, genuinely believe the best is still to come with this athletic department with the people we have in place to carry it forward into our future. Oh, no question about it. Uh, I still think we need a banner of some sort for that 2020 team, even if it just says uh, unanimous number one team or something like that. Man, you that you and I are in complete agreement on this and we might be in the minority i know there's some fans that agree that with that self doesn't want it even though he he wants to recognize that team with something in the field house but you know i, I think what you're asking for what i'm asking for is something on the opposite end maybe it's hanging on the sides it's not going to be up there with the other six national titles right. but something that says hey you know this this was the end of season ap and consensus number one ranked team um, you don't have to say national champs, right. but yeah, that, that's been an idea that's been quickly dismissed and, and I get why, but at the same time, and, and I'm even more reinforced when I get to see Devon and Udoka on a regular basis, right? man, those guys deserve something. They had such a special team that year and, you know, you can never expect and extrapolate a title run to happen in a postseason format as wildly unpredictable as the one and done nature of March Madness but man if there was a team built to make a run it was that team and so I just wish they had something and, and I will take yeah. to my grave whenever that is however long I live the always wondering what if because the NBA paused for a couple of months and came back in a bubble why couldn't the billion-dollar industry that is March Madness do the same? I know player safety was important, but it, it seemed like an overcorrection and a very quick knee-jerk reaction to just table the whole thing when you had people like Mark Few at Gonzaga saying, hey, why don't we have May Madness? 
and just just right. hold on, hit the pause button, not the panic button. But that's for a different show on a different day. But I agree with you, partner. That there should be something up there for those guys for sure. Yeah, I, I'm I'm with you. Uh, you know that that team was without question the best team in the country that year. I mean, they beat Dayton, who was the number two team in almost every poll too on a neutral court. So. Yeah. And Baylor as well, you know. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, they they had every reason to believe they were the best. They just didn't get a chance to to back it up in the way that immortalizes you. But uh, okay. thankfully, you know, they were able to win it two years later. Not the same guys entirely, but a few of the same guys. And right. they kind of pointed to that team when it happened. So so one of the things uh, I, I was thinking about, Brian, we mentioned just that where this athletic department is at a position of strength, and you talk about timing too. I mean the the. Landscape of college athletics is quickly, vastly changing quicker than it ever has before between NIL, the transfer portal, and the elephant in the room of realignment. And we know that there's a certain former team, uh, you know, that uh, there's been rumblings about, former Big 12 member of, of coming home and such. And, you know, I, I know that, you know, there, there's not much you can say as far as they go, but uh, of just where KU is at, comparably speaking, everything is is going to work out and be just fine. I'm not you, – you could have rightfully been so worried about what was going to be in the cards for KU a couple years ago, but with the way that Brett Yormark has rallied this conference and put them in a position with this media deal and, and being proactive, not reactive, like we've seen in the past in the Big 12 conference – KU and the Big 12 right now are in a really good spot here uh, moving forward together, it would seem here, Brian. Yeah, that's really well laid out and completely agree. I mean, your marks, forward thinking, act on the offensive, the aggressive, don't be in protect mode and let other conferences come in and pilfer away your entities. Instead, turn the tables and be on the make. That mindset has certainly been helpful. He, he thinks outside the box in ways that's, other ADs or other rather commissioners are not thinking about. And then, you know, Travis Goff's leadership and what these Kansas coaches have done in the last two years have stabilized Kansas as well. And you think about how much more attractive Kansas is should, should there ever be another change, which, you know, we're hopeful to be big 12 members, you know, for, for a long, long, long time for the foreseeable future. But now Kansas has football relevant again. The facilities are being enhanced across the board it's a much more attractive sell than it was two years ago when I was talking about where, where we were at as a department in the pandemic year and all of that. So, you know, a lot both individually and collectively as a conference feels much more solidified and stabilized. And yeah, there's going to continue to be changes, but hopefully it's, it's additions coming in that just, you know, stabilizes things even more and fortifies the foundation that the big 12 has. Now it's going to be, pretty wild and spread out it's looking like and i am one of those old school guys that uh you know is going to miss the fact that certain traditional opponents you won't see every year now because you've got to sprinkle in a trip to orlando and provo and so you miss out on stillwater or Ames. not that you know skipping a year of 19 degrees and the frostbite in Ames, iowa isn't the worst thing but i do think certain traditional conference rivalries need to be played every year and when you get to these super conferences of 16 plus teams and suddenly you're going a couple of years without seeing somebody in your venue or a couple of years without seeing somebody at all 
that that's disappointing. And uh, and that that to me starts to feel less like the college sports that we all grew up on and more like a, a new era that's a little bit unknown. But I do think whatever gives this conference, you know, as much strength and stability as possible is what we need. And it sure seems like they're trending in that direction. So we're appreciative of that leadership and uh, and that stance and, and just hope it gets stronger and stronger. And uh, hey, if, if the team you're talking about does come back, Pearl Street's one of my favorite places to visit in the Big 12. And uh, you got to love the mountainous backdrop out there as well. So uh, it, it would definitely be an excited welcome home if indeed that came together. Yeah, I think so. What do you think of these uh, four new schools, by the way, that are coming in? Uh, some exciting road trips for sure. I, I love the idea of going to Orlando or Provo. I mean, Houston, obviously, an easy place to get to. Uh, all four of these schools bring uh, something different in and some potential, it seems. It seems like they're all ready to take another step. Good football programs, but a chance for them to all compete and be great here. Yeah, I think so. You know, it's it's definitely tough when you lose two brand-name schools like Oklahoma and Texas that, uh, you know, are perennial powers and traditional powers. But I've had a chance to to be around the UCF program a little bit. I did their bowl game a couple of years ago, and you got to see what they're building down there with the Knights. And, and uh, ESPN had a – great behind the scenes documentary that same season that showed everything that they're building. And it's exciting. And I think that, you know, when you consider the fact that BYU is a national brand, it's going to have a following no matter who they're playing, where they're playing all, you know, a ton of eyeballs are tuned in to watch them play. Uh, and then, you know, Houston is an emerging star at the football and men's basketball levels that immediately gives you major strength there. I think the power five conference status only helps them maintain what's already very tangible progress and momentum that they're building. And then Cincinnati's been, you know, on the cusp of, of, of breaking through as a, a national, you know, type brand for quite a while in football. They just haven't had that major conference status to really fuel it as well. And, uh, and they've been off and on good in basketball. It's been a while since the Huggins era, obviously, but I think they, they certainly have just as these other three schools that I referenced did the ability to be that much more formidable now with the resources that come with being in the major conference and the attraction to recruits that come from having, you know, that power five status. So excited about uh, those additions, you know, do they make the most geographic sense? No, but I think those days of geographic uh, sensible, you know, connections and conferences are long, long behind us. I mean, you could have a big 12 that has, a team in Southern California and a team in stores, Connecticut. You could have a team in the Pacific Northwest and down in Orlando. So, you know, we're, we're going to cross country this entire map from North to South to East to West. It could be, and uh, that'll be pretty wild if it happens that way, but hopefully amidst all of that, uh, one thing will remain the same and that's, you know, Kansas basketball being King in this conference and uh, Kansas athletics in general, you know, being uh, a brand name that you respect and in some regards revere. And uh, hopefully we'll see, you know, Kansas continue to be that as long as Travis Goff is the AD and you've got great coaches like self and Leipold. Oh yeah. And, and, and you got stars on campus right now. I mean, with, with, uh, with Jalen, we mentioned being as good as any quarterback in the big 12, Devin Neal, I think it's the best running back in the league, Hunter Dickinson coming in. I mean, um, you know, it feels like a super team there with that basketball squad that they're putting together. I mean, there's a lot of reason to be excited and optimistic about these programs and what they're doing going forward for sure. Brian, we're out of time. Uh, always a pleasure talking to you, man. Where can people, uh, again, plug one more time about the Round Ball Classic, uh, all that info, and uh, where they can uh, contribute and uh, take part if they want to get involved here? 
Yeah, it's uh, it's kind of a mouthful, but uh, once you say it a couple times, you can remember it. Rock, we like to say, is Jayhawks, and then Round Ball Classic all together. RockChalkRoundBallClassic.com is the website, and there's a real easy click to donate now tab at the top. You can read about the kids' stories first and see who your money's going to. Every single penny, uh, except for paying for the hot dogs and the venues, goes to these kids. Uh, everything we raise goes straight to these kids. And then, like I said, with the year-round benevolence fund, we're going to be able to have nine other kids go to a KU football, basketball, or baseball game in the months of September through May, sit with a former Jayhawk at that game so they get that one-on-one time with a star, and then at the end of the night, they're going to get a $5,000 check too. So pretty cool deal. We're excited about that, and uh, that's all because of the generosity of Jayhawk Nation. So I'll leave you by simply saying thank you to everybody who's helped to make this thing so special for 15 straight years. And thank you, Tyler, for being a, a valued supporter of it the last handful of years, always promoting it and giving of your time and talents, too. So we appreciate you, bud. Thanks My again, pleasure. and uh, we'll look forward to seeing you maybe in Dallas later this summer when we're down that way for the Big 12 Media Days. Hey, absolutely. Uh, looking forward to it. Brian Ainey uh, of the Rock Chalk Round Ball Classic and uh, the voice of the Kansas Jayhawks joining us. Uh, always a pleasure. We'll talk to you soon. Thanks for joining us, Brian. Thanks, buddy. Appreciate you. Time for Girls Post Football Fix, presented by O'Connor Advisory Group. You can find O'Connor Advisory Group online, oagcast.com, o'connoradvisorygroup.com. Also, check out the Coach Bo Knows podcast out each and every week wherever you listen to podcasts. Coach Bo joins us right now. Well, how are we doing uh, this week there at uh, OHGKS.com? You know, it's always a bit of a struggle the week after the holiday when you get an extra day off. And this week has been a little bit of a struggle. It's been uh, uh, longer hours and trying to get more stuff into the day. But uh, we're getting there. There we go. That's what I like to hear. Things uh, upward and upward from there. Bo, let's start with DeAndre Hopkins. Um, He was released. Uh, a few days ago, uh, Cardinals didn't want to pay him close to $20 million, making him an unrestricted free agent. We've heard the reports that the Chiefs and the Bills are the favorites to land him, but there's still other teams that have a chance. Uh, where do you ultimately see DeAndre Hopkins ending up? I think it's like a five-team race. I think I don't think it's just going to be the Bills and the Chiefs. I, I think Detroit is out there. Detroit's the one who can give the best contract, I think, right now, too. Um, with more money this year. Um, I think mean, look at them, look at Baltimore. Um, I also wouldn't be surprised if you see a Dallas get involved, someone that give them a longer term contract, something a little more more money guaranteed. Uh won't get it as far as up front there, but don't be surprised on that. And don't be surprised a little further out there if New Orleans is a team that has got some skin cap room, they've done some stupid stuff. And they might – they're going to try to put every weapon they can around Derek Carr to try to help him because they know they got a city quarterback. So, um, yeah. So, if you follow me on Twitter, you know I've been arguing with people about, about Derek Carr all weekend. Um, but, yeah, so I wouldn't be surprised there. But I think it's going to come down to ultimately Buffalo, Kansas City, and I think Detroit's the dark horse. I – Really think that, that Hopkins could look at Detroit and be, hey, I'm the number one guy. They can give him a nice longer term contract, more guarantees than anybody, and they can pay him what he wants this season. And adding DeAndre Hopkins makes them the favorite to me in the NFC. Over Philly and San Francisco. 
Definitely over San Francisco with Philly. Okay. So here's what I wonder, and you may have already kind of answered this question, but um, we've heard the reports out there that it's a potentially a choice that D-Hop has to make of, do I want to contend for a Super Bowl or do I want to get paid? Is Detroit kind of the the only avenue you see of where you get the best of both worlds, where you can get the money and be a Super Bowl contender? Yes, it is the only one that can offer him both. Now, it takes a little bit of grace, if you will, to think that Detroit is Super Bowl ready. I happen to do think they're ready. I think adding him is adding the one piece they really do need offensively. But there also would be in a division that they'll just straight dominate. Um, I, I think that if you look at that comparatively, Detroit's better in the got a better chance of running the table in an NFC than both Buffalo or the Chiefs in a more competitive AFC. Yeah. Yeah, I can see that. Um, and, and so with that said, uh, you know, uh, of him making his decision and trying to figure out where he wants to go here. If we've heard about the Chiefs and Bills, do you consider if you're Kansas City or if you're Buffalo, either one is part of your reasoning to get D Hop to avoid him from going to the one of those to that other team? Does that factor in at no, all? I, I don't think you can do it because the other to stop the block the other team. I think you do it because in this case you get DeAndre Hopkins, who's a great player. I mean, he's a future Hall of Famer. He's in the it, it may not be the absolute prime of his career, but he's definitely at the end of his prime. Um, and you're going to be adding something very helpful. And, and possibly, well, those two teams both have that one player that's a little bit better, the Chiefs with Kelsey, the Bills with Diggs, uh, where this is a number two target. He'd be a number one target damn near anywhere. Those two teams just happen to have, you know, you know, generational talent, those two positions. But I do think that it's – I don't think that part of it is to stop the other team. I don't think either Kansas City or Buffalo is thinking that way. I think both of them are thinking, let's make our our locker room stronger. Uh, let's move on now. Jimmy G uh, in the headlines sure. uh, this past week uh, with – the uh, foot surgery that the Raiders required him to get before they ultimately signed him. And now they uh, are not exactly sure uh, about his status uh, going forward, if he will uh, be ready for week one or not. With that said, if you're the Raiders here, uh, are you starting to look at other quarterbacks around the league? What What is going on? I still don't understand why they signed him in the first place. We talked on my podcast about this. I mean, you, you know, I mean, I hate Jimmy Jimmy Garoppolo. I, I don't know, understand why he's there. I mean, he's one of the few quarterbacks that's actually a step down from Derek Carr. Um, but yeah, I think you guys start looking elsewhere. They probably should have been looking elsewhere already. But at this point, yeah, I got her thinking about what my other options are. If he's just now getting the foot surgery that you wanted him to get a month ago or was it a month, six weeks ago, maybe even longer, and you're going to have this whole offseason now, the rest of the offseason, without your starting quarterback. This is just – this is this is Mark Davis kind of shit right here. I mean, this is ridiculous. 
I don't understand it at all. Yeah. Um, and you got Brian Hoyer and Aiden O'Connell as your other two options there. Uh, yeah. Not that Jimmy G was that great to begin with, but, Bo, if, if you don't have Jimmy G, then what, what do you have to play for at that point? Like, you might as well just go ahead and tank for Caleb Williams, right? I think I would. I mean, Ryan Hoyer is basically a coach in the in the in the in the quarterback room at this point. I mean, he's not a he's a good enough NFL player, but he's not someone you want to start the season with the quarterback. Aiden O'Connell, I know. I, I just look at it and go, man, that I don't understand. I think that I think he's a capable backup in Brian Hoyer, but I also don't think you can go into week one with him your starter. Um, I if I'm the Raiders, I'm trying to figure. I'm either tanking, or I've got to figure something else out. I want to know whoever it was that, that read the medical stuff and thought it was still a good idea to sign this guy. Whoever made that decision should be fired. I think Josh McDaniels played a factor in it because we know that yeah. he pushed for them to sign. And, yeah, Jimmy he's G. trying to. Yes, he's trying to put the New England locker room back together. Yeah, yeah. Josh McDaniels was a joke as a head coach. He was a joke as a head coach in in Denver. He's a joke as a head coach now. He's a joke at picking quarterbacks. I mean, literally, I wouldn't let Josh McDaniels be in the offensive room for one of my staffs. I mean, you you think about it. We're starting to get into just a very interesting territory with Josh McDaniels. Like, if this goes as downhill as we think it will, and it will, um. I think he's got to be in the discussion for one of the worst head coaches of all time. Yeah. This is the same guy when he was in Denver, went to bat and wanted Tebow. And chased off Jake Cutler and Brandon Marshall. Yes. I mean, it's It's ridiculous. not even just the Tebow thing. It's what else he did. What else? Yeah. I mean, it was horrible. And, he, and it, this is bad decision-making, too. Yeah. I, I, don't, I don't get it. It's not – I. Glad it's not my team. Uh, post June one cuts. Uh, the uh, the the situation. People find it confusing. Even I do. Uh, you're looking at this like what? What is it? What is the significance with June one? Like why? Why did we not have right. this all sorted out by the beginning of the league year? Okay, so it's a couple things. It's you have June one. It, it, it all has to do with salary cap. So this new season, the new year starts. People are signing players and and cutting players. And on March the fifteenth, you have to have your uh, team under the cap. Well, then you have a draft. They get those players in. Teams cut other players because of those draft moves. So then people, teams pick up oh, some of those players. Those players are shuffled around. Well, now you got to make some more moves. It's also a frequent spot to put in a roster bonus. Your frequent roster bonuses are March March 1 or March 15th, the, the first day of the other new season. June 1, it's designation for a lot of them. And then um, the last day of, of training camp. It's usually September 1 or August 31st. It's one of those two, depending on the, on the, on the year. Um, it really has to do with contract language and teams trying to shuffle that cap with players coming and going. You also have injuries. 
You have a mini camp in between the draft and June 1. So you're going to see maybe there's a player that comes in, they come in too heavy, or maybe they're holding out, or something happens. Again, it shuffles your roster, that shuffles your cap. And so that's going to move some pieces around the board throughout the league. What teams are trying to do right now is figure out which of these players is going to get cut. Do you, can you work their their um, contract into your cap? And what you see is players who have certain, usually it's going to be some kind of a trigger, uh, some kind of a bonus trigger or a, a roster bonus where it's built in. If you're on the team June 1st, you get X amount of dollars. Um, June 1st is also sort of the trade deadline for the salary cap, a trade that goes after June 1. You can extend dead money over a two-year period. Before June 1, you can't do that. So uh, our big reason DeAndre Hopkins was released was that the Cardinals had looked at this and gone, like, we're in a rebuild. They're going to take the dead money cap hit all in the 2023 season, as opposed to waiting till June 1 and having the option to split it. They're just going to say, well, we're not getting anything to trade for him. Let's just go ahead and, and cut him and take the hit now. Because yeah. it's going to give them a whole bunch of flexibility down the road. Right. Yeah. So, yeah, the, the answer, you go back to the genesis of your question, though, it's all about the salary cap and just those staying within the cap and the parameters of that. Okay. Uh, that's very interesting. Um, with uh, with that said, moving on, uh, New Orleans, John Gruden's back working with that organization. We know that he's got – familiarity with with Derek Carr um what what does this mean uh New Orleans bringing back uh John Gruden and everything and what kind of role is he doing there okay so I was talking to some people in New Orleans this past weekend about this and I actually spoke to one of their scouts for three or four hours off and on about this we actually traded a bunch of Twitter messages then we actually talked and what my understanding is is that they're bringing in part of John Gruden's offense that he ran back when the Raiders were in Oakland and, and Derek Carr ran to get this put together. This is an all new system for the offensive coordinator. The offensive coordinator is Pete Carmichael Jr. Who was one of Drew was one of um, uh, Sean Payton's guys who, I mean, worked was an offensive player for Sean Payton for years there. Payton did not want to take him to, to Denver. Um, he's not really that popular in New Orleans either, but he was kept on as offensive coordinator uh, because of his relationship with, with uh, Dennis Allen. Changing up this offense a little bit, wanting to put in a little more of, if you want to call it a Gruden-style offense, um, they want to get that terminology down. They want to, so their whole Their whole playbook is changing, basically. And so they're using Gruden to come in and basically set in the offense for not just the quarterbacks and the receivers, but also for the, for the assistant coaches, for the offensive coordinator and for the position coaches. What it tells me, I'm going to be real blunt about this. And this is why I'm a free agent as a fan. (laughs) (laughs) This gives, this tells me they have zero trust in their offensive coaching staff. It means they have zero trust in Pete Carmichael, and they just said, hey, we got to bring in John Gruden to do this. 
And look, it's not a bad idea, but it's only a good idea if John Gruden is there to make the play calls. If John Gruden's saying, here's what we're going to do. Here's what we're going to do on third and 10. Here's what you, the quarterback, are going to be looking for in these situations. And it's a, a, a language of we, not you. And this is going to be the language of you guys. Here's what you guys have got to learn. Here's what y'all got to learn to say it out in New Orleans. Um, and what's going to be bad about it is that the whoever's calling plays, which is probably going to be the OC, he's not going to have the years of experience in that offense. But the offense the Saints have run for the last three years has been, well, two years since, since Sean Payton left, has been Sean Payton's offense. But Pete Carmichael trying to run it. You can't do that without Sean Payton. He was the play caller. Right. So if you don't have your original play caller, you got a guy who kind of understands the offense but has never actually called the plays. So now you're going to bring in a guru, so to speak. He's going to help you put in an offense, and then you've got to drive the car. It's like we're going to teach you how to drive this car. It's real intricate, and it's really fucking expensive. And you get on the road, you're on your own. Does this open the door for a John Gruden return in some capacity, or is his uh, full-time coaching career at the college and pro level done? I I tend to think it's done. Um, look, I'm a guy who is – I'm a fan of the coach, John Gruden. I'm not a fan of what's happened and we've learned about him off the field, some of the language and whatnot. Um, and some of the, the racial slurs and all that kind of stuff. I'm not a fan of that. I'm not gonna I'm not gonna apologize for that. But as far as knowing the sport, knowing how to develop people, especially on the offensive side of football, that's a guy that should know that. If this works, other teams will call him do this. Maybe not at the NFL level, maybe a bunch of college teams would. You know what I think John Gruden. I could see happening to Gruden, though. He gets that bug to want to coach again. And I could see him in a Nick Saban recovery program. You go to Nick Saban, you spend three years as offensive coordinator, you get a head coaching job. I could see that. That that one makes a little bit of sense, like minds in a way, football-wise. So I could see that. I don't think it's likely we'll see John Gruden as a head coach again or even as an offensive coordinator, but he does like the hands-on part of coaching. And so I can see him doing some developmental stuff like this, whether it's as a camp, him running some kind of a quarterback's camp in the future for young quarterbacks or college quarterbacks, something maybe similar to the Manning Passing Academy. You know, that kind of thing would not surprise me. I don't know. There's a lot that can happen. And I think this is going to be kind of a test to see what he does, what happens with John Green. Yeah. Um, I wonder about his media career, if that's going to ever pick up. The, the hard part is the NFL uh, is not going to want its partners to bring in John Gruden. I agree, because they're going to put have to put out a bunch of money when it's all said and done. He's going to win his lawsuit. It's going to get settled out of court. They don't want discovery right. of the things that John Gruden knows. And – that goes back to everything that happened with the commanders and everything else. You know, he's part of that. 
They don't want that discovery to come out. John Gruden's going to get paid off. And so then it's going to be, you know, what does he want to do coaching-wise? And it's, and I think it's going to be more hands-on stuff with younger players, probably younger quarterbacks. Right. Yeah. I could see him running like an Elite 11 kind of camp or the Manning Passing Academy. I could I could definitely see John Gruden doing something like that. Yeah. Uh, one more NFL note, then we'll move on to talk some college ball here. Um, the Patriots lost two days of OTAs, and it has been reported – that it was because of Joe Judge, uh, the former Giants coach, and now they're one of their assistant coaches, uh, you know, having a mandatory special teams meeting that should have been uh, voluntary this time of year and everything. And uh, that's ultimately led to why they're getting these OTAs taken away. You have a new offense coordinator, Bill O'Brien. You have Mac Jones, who's really got something to prove this year, uh, looking for a bounce back year. Is this a big deal, you think, Bo, for the Patriots to lose these two days of OTAs and for Mac Jones learning the offense and everything? Is it a big deal or not? No, Mac Jones is gonna be in that gonna be in that building a lot as much as he's allowed to be. Um, I don't really see it to be in that big a deal. I, I don't. It's you're basically losing two days on the turf. But the team you're gonna have those two days on the turf in May, the one the two days they just lost ain't going to be the same team they go into camp with or come out of camp with, more importantly. So that's kind of what my th- my thought process on that is. Yeah. Yeah, I get that. Uh, uh, it's just two days at, at the end of the world. And we've seen Belichick in the past cancel uh, days of uh, you know, OTAs uh, at the yeah, end. And lots of guys will use any excuse they can to not go to the OTAs. Right. So, yeah, that – it's more of a – that's more of a – I think OTAs is kind of more of a, okay, who's paying attention? You know, who wants to be in here to do some extra things? You know, who gets it more than anything else kind of kind of days? Um, let's go to the college football side of things now. Uh, we told you last week things seem to be getting very, very close to Colorado joining the Big 12. And a new report this week from Dennis Dodd says that it's Dion that's pushing for Colorado to go to the Big 12 and that the pack that uh that administration uh is wanting to listen to their coach that Dion specifically wants to get back into the state of Texas. Bo, uh I look at this two ways. Tell me what you think about this. For one, that's a lot of power for a uh first year head coach that's never coached the FBS level uh that probably won't be there in about three or four years, probably going to be in somewhere like Auburn or something. Um, that, that to me, I thought that was a little strange, but the flip side, I was thinking about this too, though, is that doesn't this show Colorado's renewed uh, commitment to football that, Hey, they want to go where their coach wants to go. They want to be in the big 12. They want to get that Texas recruiting, you know, they, they did the Pac-12 thing where they, you know, followed the, you know, the the West Coast mentality and the academic stuff. You go to the Big 12, that's a move for football. Um, that That's how I look at it. How do you look at the uh, this whole idea that Dion's pushing for it and that they're receptive to it? Yeah, this is Dion Sanders wanting to build a recruiting Texas. I mean, that's what it is. He realizes he's he, – look, there's not a lot of D1 players in – 
in, in Colorado and in the neighboring states, including Kansas. Um, he's got to go get players from out of state. So being able to go and have games in Texas, have four or five games in Texas per year, or a couple of years per year in Texas, that is going to help him get teams. Are, players are going to see them. Um, coaches, high school coaches are going to see these coaches and go, oh, yeah, we had this relationship with this guy and he gave me able to get those players. That's what it's about. It's about Prime wanting to be in Dallas to be able to recruit Dallas, to be able to recruit Houston. And that that's what it is. And you know, I've always said if I was gonna if I was gonna ever be a head coach in college football, you've really only got to recruit like five places. You can be able to recruit the Houston, Texas area, South Louisiana, South Florida, and a couple of Atlanta, that area, and maybe a couple other places here or there. But that's about it. And if you can recruit well in those places, you're gonna build a build a strong team. And Dion knows that. And he knows, hey, I'm gonna get these players. I'm gonna have to. I'm it also gives him a chance with now with uh UCF in the conference, he'll be able to go play a game in Florida every so often, too, if he can get in the Big 12. And again, just be able to get there, just be able to get there and be able to see you. That's important. He's also fighting because he knows he's going to get more more games on TV, more people knowing about what's going on at Colorado. And this is about recruiting, and it's about what he's going to have to do because he's going in here and I mean, look, he had eighty players in the roster. They've only kept twenty. I mean, he's turned over a large percentage of this team through the portal, and he continues to. It's going to be a lot of this for a long time. And Dion's got more cachet, even though he's not a longtime coach. The name Dion Sanders has got more cachet than pretty much every coach in the Big 12, right? And the Pac 12. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, he, I mean, I'm not saying he's the best coach, but there is a brand. I mean, Coach Prime is a brand. Right. And, that helps, every, that helps everybody, and it certainly will help, and, and it makes them valuable to the Big 12. Yeah, I think it's a good deal all around. If Colorado does end up going, uh, like we suspect, and it seems like things are heading in that direction, um, obviously you have the other four corner schools all of a sudden, uh, you know, would be right there. We know about the rumblings in the ACC Heck, we've even talked about UConn, Gonzaga, you know, in, in that front as, as you know, uh, non-football members, what, whatever it may be. I th- there's got to be a domino effect, right? You know, one one outcome leads to another. If Colorado jumps, what do you think the Big 12 does next? I, I think they get to Texas. I mean, they get the, the Arizona schools and Utah. I mean, I think that's where you go next. You just keep plugging away. And bringing these schools in as long as you can get the as long as the the partners the TV partners the broadcast partners are willing to increase the amount you're going to to receive yeah keep going yeah I'm with you um, spread your wings the uh, SEC debating whether they want to go to a nine game schedule or not uh, Texas has said they want the nine game schedule. Uh, to happen, I guess the, the the big heart of the issue seems to be, Bo, uh, of trying to get ESPN to pay more 
for a nine-game schedule as opposed to an eight-game schedule. Is that what all this is? Is this just a uh, uh, you know, negotiating ploy here? I mean, everybody just kind of assumed when OU and Texas would come to the league, they would go to nine games to keep some of these rivalries. Yeah, I mean, you got to keep the rivalries. I, I think there's some people who don't want to do it just because they want to keep things, quote-unquote, how they are. But at the same time, I just look at it and go, man, you got to you got to play the ones in front of you. And a lot of teams in the SEC like having that one extra game. Um, you know, I know Alabama does it. I know LSU does it. Auburn does it, where they play that late in the season, usually end of October. They'll play that non-con game against, you know, directional school from wherever, and they beat the hell out of them. Uh, that's going to go away. But it's almost like having a bye week is what, in essence, it's been. You're just not able to get away with that. And I know that the SEC schools are going to say, well, you know, we have a better conference than everyone as far as depth. And they're all, they're right. But you you made this. You built this league this way. Everyone's good. That's the for Vanderbilt in Missouri. So, you know, it, other than them, everyone's good. You're going to have to deal with it. So play your games. I'm all for playing nine. I'm all for – I've even heard ten. Do it. They're worried about a team catching an extra loss and not making the playoff as well. Yeah. You know, they don't want – they're going to have a hard argument of a team who has two losses, doesn't win a division. They won't have divisions. So a two-loss team has to jump a one-loss champion. You know, what if Alabama loses two games to – Oklahoma and Texas beats the hell out of everybody else. But then you got a, a team that goes to a conference championship game, has four losses, but wins the conference championship. Does the playoff have to take them over a two-loss Bama, you know, who loses to two really good teams? It, it just is what it is. You know, you're going to have to go out there and play on the field and win it. And if it ain't your year, it ain't your year. You know, the thing I like, besides just more conference games, and I think that's good for everybody, Bo, but you're actually, if you go to a nine-game format with the 16 teams compared to what it is now, the eight-game format with 14 teams, you're actually going to see more of your SEC opponents in that format than you would see in the current format. I mean, uh yeah. Some of these teams go go years without playing each other in the SEC right now. Yeah, I mean the way it's working right now with you have you play your division, you play one team every year from the other division, and you rotate the other ones through two at a time. Well, then, like I I'm an LSU fan. LSU's only played one game at Missouri since they joined since Missouri joined the SEC. And that was a game that got moved from Baton Rouge to Missouri because of a hurricane. Right. They are playing in Missouri this year. This year would have been the first one. But, yeah, you're right. I mean, that's been – how many years has Missouri joined the SEC? What was that, 2012, 2013? Yeah, so that's 10 years, and they hadn't played – you know, LSU hadn't played at Missouri. There's other ones like that, too, who haven't played. you you got to play them every eight years. And you're gonna play them at their house once every twelve, every sixteen years. It's yeah, that's a little too much. I, I 
I'm for playing more of the conference games. I know in the end, it's really about the, the, the tippy top, the peak of these teams don't want to lose. They don't want the extra game on their schedule they might lose. Go out there and play. Just go out there and play and quit complaining. Because now you're going to have 16 teams. You just brought in Texas and Oklahoma. Conference got tougher. Alabama can't whine about this every year. And that's that, – look, I'm going to be blunt. That's who whines about it. It's Alabama. Alabama whines about anything they don't get their absolute way in. Right. They don't like – their schedule's going to get tougher now. I mean, Kirby Smart has straight up said, we'll play anybody. We don't care. Yeah. Brian Kelly's saying the same thing at LSU. He doesn't give a shit. He's going to put him on schedule. Hell, he's playing Florida State in the off, in the in the non-con. I mean, right. you know, George is playing Clemson. You know, it's like, come on, we'll, we'll play you. And, and Alabama thinks that they are incarnated as the, as the football franchise of college football. And I think Nick Saban's the greatest college football coach of all time. Hard to argue against that. But you can't just keep handing them the extra ticket. Right, you got to go earn it. And they haven't earned it the last couple of years. Right. Um, well, I would make this case, too, uh, as far as why you go to nine-game schedule. Don't you make it tougher? You mentioned the the scenario of a two-loss team versus a one-loss conference champ, whatever it may be. Um, you make it harder to leave your teams out. I, I think that in this next playoff era where we're going to have five wild card teams, you're playing a nine game schedule. The SEC is going to have a chance to get most of those wild card spots. And yeah. they're going to have a right to be at the seat of the table with as impressive as those resumes are going to be. Yeah. You're going to look, you're going to not be able to, you're just not going to be able to drop three conference games after three, you're done, but no four lost teams be in the playoff any damn way. There probably shouldn't be a three loss team in the playoff. Right, but you go oh. up, you you say, okay, we got three or four teams with two losses in the best league in America. Yeah. And you're going to leave us out? No, no, we we deserve oh. to be here. And maybe that means you do have, instead of the tippy top two or the top four, maybe you've only got the conference champion in the top four, but then you've got five or four of those teams in the bottom half. Any of those four could win. That's what you got. I mean, I mean, you look at this past season. I mean, Georgia was better than everybody. And if you'd expanded that thing out this year, you would have had a really tough, you'd have had a tough Alabama team to beat. You'd have had a um you'd have had a really tough LSU team. You would have had a really tough Tennessee team. And I hate uh Hidden Hooker got hurt. They would have been in. Yeah. So yeah, you're looking at this going, wait a minute. This there's good teams that'll be in the back half of that bracket. You know, we're going to how many now? Uh, we're 12. Eight. We're to 12. So we're going to have, you look, the SEC is going to dominate 7 through 12. Yeah. Because the first six are going to be mostly conference champions. A couple of teams with one loss will be up there as well. But this past season, Bama would have got in. And we, the champion was Georgia. We know they would have been in. Bama would have got in, Tennessee would have got in, LSU would have got in. That's a quarter of your conference. And 
they, and, there was probably would have been a good chance of an all SEC national title too. Yeah, and if they were if they were already in the league, Texas would have got in. People would look at Texas and been like, "Ooh, that's a good team." Well, Texas lost four games. Yeah, but it, there were times where if you look, they played better. They played Alabama better than everybody. Did. I mean, it was. Right. Yeah, you look at some of these teams and go. Eh, if Quinn Ewers had not gotten hurt, could have been a different yeah. season. Yeah, yeah, and 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 it would have hurt Tennessee that Hendon Hooker got hurt. Right, but man. I mean, it's you'd have had four, maybe five. Yeah, and that's what you're going to have every year. You're going to get four in every year. Don't lose three games. Yeah. When you're nine cons, don't lose three in cons. Yeah, I'm with you. Um, if it's going to mean more, it's got to mean more. Uh, it's got to mean more, yeah. There you go. Bo, uh, what's on the podcast this week? Uh, we're going to be jumping around a whole bunch of different. We're going to be hitting the uh, the NBA Finals. We're going to be talking a lot about that. My co-host, Ellen, is going to actually be at games one and two of the NBA Finals. Uh, we're talking about that. Uh, Coach Bo gets to go to game seven. There's a game seven I get to go. Ooh, okay. So I might be able to go to a game five. We're going to find out. Uh, Ellen has season tickets, and she got all her tickets for the um, um, for the finals. Okay, so she's not able to attend a game seven or a game five. So we're working the details out for that, but so yeah. Oh, you need somebody going? <laughs> no, no. It, well, game five would be her and I. Okay, game seven would be me and whoever I want to take, and I kind of got a kid who wants to go. So oh, okay. Okay, yeah, it'd be close yeah. to Father's Day and everything else, you know. Yeah. Plus, you know, you know, you know, P Money. He's he's as big an NBA guy as anybody. So, yeah. Uh, we'll be talking a lot about the NBA finals. We'll talk a little bit about the NHL uh, Stanley Cup playoffs as well, and then we're going to jump around on stuff. We're going to talk a little bit about the um, college basketball and the portal stuff. So, but the transfer portal, because a lot of stuffs happened, especially local here with Kansas and what's going on there. So, we've had uh, we've been. We, did a couple special things. This week we'll kind of jump around different subjects. Looking forward to it. Bo, appreciate the time as always. We'll talk to you next week. Hey, thank you, Tyler. You have a great week. Take care. Final segment before we go. It's our top foolery story of the week. Thomas Bridges standing by. Coach Bo here as well uh, to tell us something ridiculous happening in the world. Tom, where shall we go to this time? Jones, we always have a lot of teachers on here. and God bless the teacher, okay? Um, thank and my sister's a teacher. Um, thank God this isn't her, but um, because we wouldn't be doing it if it was. Um, this comes from Outkick, a lot of these come from Outkick, but still credible source here, just written in the way that me and you would write it and not the way that the CNN or Fox News anchor would write it. Um, teacher doing battle with score school board says the board subscribed to her OnlyFans. Like, who's on the board? How many people are on the board? And this is Canadian, where the people are actually nice. Uh, Canadian teaching assistant. She's not, okay, difference. Teaching assistant or teacher. She's a teaching assistant. Kristen McDonald's fight against a Vancouver school board has taken an interesting turn. According to the content creator, known as Ava James on social media platforms, the school board subscribed to her OnlyFans. Donald received a letter from the school board last month. The letter informed her that they had received a complaint about her social media activity. 
The letter went on to give her the opportunity to shut down her Ava James accounts. If not, she she could be fired. Um, then it shows a TikTok. And, you know, as a teacher's assistant, um, let me tell you, I know here in the States, uh, teacher salary is not good. I can only imagine a teacher's assistant pay. Probably not that good. So someone paid for those titties that are on TikTok. That that wasn't a teacher assistant salary paying for those. There's no way. Um, McDonald hasn't shut down the accounts and has decided to do battle with the school board. Part of that battle includes facing an investigative committee during a recent disciplinary hearing. During the hearing, she was presented with the evidence they had collected over social media activity. The evidence came in the form of images from social media, quotes from articles about the fight with the school district, and research. Research. <laughs> I've done research before. <laughs> On her OnlyFans. McDonald claims that the school board purchased a subscription to her OnlyFans. She told they- she told Daily Hive they admitted to getting an OnlyFans subscriber account. That's awesome. Uh, the school board weren't the only ones putting taxpayer money to good use. That's beautiful <laughs> line. <laughs> she added that the investigative committee also heavily alluded to purchasing a subscription to her exclusive content. The 35-year-old said of the subscriptions, I kind of felt like they were poking at me being like, yeah, we saw what you're doing or whatever. I can't even lie. She's good looking. Um, she's a very good looking individual. Tom would buy. As, no, I, I wouldn't buy. You know, if I could use like a Visa gift card instead of my debit card, maybe. I would never admit to that though, but I'd never use my debit card. <laughs> um, if I could use like a, yeah, like a Visa gift card you get at Walmart, then okay, sue me. Um, as of now, poking is all oh God. See, this is this is the great. This is what I've come to expect from Outkick. As of now, poking is all they've done to her. <laughs> McDonald McDonald hasn't yet been fired and is still an employee of the school district. Probably to her senior English students' delight. Um, however, that could change at any time. She admitted. I mean, they could draw it out, or they could tell me next week, and then I'm terminated. The fact that the school board and the committee subscribed to her OnlyFans while threatening to fire her isn't the craziest thing to come out of the hearing. They're helping to support a single mother by doing that. Listen, I've, I've helped single mom before. Um, the most <laughs> outrageous thing to come out of the claims that she's using notoriety from the battle to help build her brand. It's a smart businesswoman. This fight is about much more than that. This is a classic good versus evil battle. This isn't just Kristen McDonald's fight. It's much bigger than that. This is for all the other Ava James out there. What I hope the final outcome will be is that this situation sets a precedent for other people in similar situations. Or maybe they're being discriminated against based on doing some sort of sex work, says McDonald. I would like to see policies and employers be more accepting and progressive with their opinion and outlook on sex work because sex work is still work. There's probably a small part that's going into building the brand. Okay, now I've seen another picture of her, and she looks like she spent her taxpayers' money on some very bad lip filler. Um. Oh, no. Oh, yeah, the, the lip filler, yeah. Damn, see, the lip filler kills it for me. <laughs> I, 
One of her hashtags on her Instagram, hashtag Dommy Mommy, hashtag MILF Gang. Um, and then it's just all these pictures of her taxpayer titties and taxpayer lips. <laughs> Golly. Uh, you know what? Let her do whatever. She's not. She's a teacher's assistant. She's not the fucking principal. And, you know, even if she was, as long as she's not out there fucking 16-year-old kids, you know what? Let her do whatever. It's not like her name on OnlyFans is the same. It's not like she she put it out there for free either. I mean, you got to pay to see it. Right. Now, now she's promoting it in class, writing at Ava underscore James on OnlyFans on the whiteboard. And then, like, these 16-year-old students are, like, using their mom's credit card to buy a subscription. You know what? Whatever. I mean, I I saw probably plenty of Ava James at 16, and I saw him for free. <laughs> <laughs> you know what I mean? I would – listen, I'm not the guy that would is going to pay for it, you know? And, and the day and age and internet world that are in, you know what? Here's the thing. One of those students, I'm not going to be the one that buys it if I'm the if I'm in her class. Another student's going to buy it, and we're all going to huddle around the lunch table, and we're going to look for free. Um, you know, listen, if they want teachers to stop doing this kind of thing, start paying the teachers more. Right? Yeah. I'm. You know what? I'm. You know, hustle, grind for your money, I do mean- whatever to do i work a full-time job and still do karaoke you know i could be maybe what if i was doing porn would they be worried would they be mad i think tom the sequel to bad teacher a great cameron diaz movie is going to be that she does only fans on the side bad teacher too <laughs> um i don't know what the tagline I, I still can't get past taxpayer titties it's like uh oh man what's another good one oh you go get a your your old girl go gets the brazilian butt lift call that obamacare ass or something i don't know medicaid um what's a good one for medicaid what's a body part that starts with m um, uh, I was I, I was decent. Anatomy's been a couple. I think years. you're reaching now. I think we. Yeah, yeah. You, taxpayer titties. I don't think they're getting better than titties. Uh, this being Canada, you could call them Trudeau titties. Oh God. <laughs> Trudeau's taxpayer titties. There you go. Um, yeah, that's something. I mean, if you paid teachers more, they wouldn't have to do stuff like this. Bo, uh, what what's your thoughts? I couldn't get past taxpayer titties. Um, no, I, I, you know what? I see it from both sides on this. You certainly don't want the kids to, you know, know about, you know, Miss Johnson and whatever work she's getting done and putting it out there like that. There is a, there is kind of a line as a teacher you shouldn't cross. But also, there's part of me that thinks, you know, I have rights, do what I want. I, I, I'm really of two minds on this. I do think we ought to hold teachers to a high standard, but that would include also paying them at a high standard. So now, if it um, was Mr. Johnson showing his Johnson, 
I don't know if I would. I mean, that's a double standard on my end because I'd be like, "Oh, that's a little weird if Mr. Johnson's, you know, showing his Johnson." And I can understand if she was doing it on company time. If she's like on her lunch break, taking you know photos and videos in the bathroom, then that that might be an issue. But she would be a no-no. Yeah, right. That'd be a no-no. Then understand, fired all that. But what she does on her own time, that's her business. I think that's fine. Yeah. I mean, how many how many of the parents are subscribed to it? You know, we heard from the school board. We didn't hear from the parents. There's no parents in that. Like, um, you know, Rick Smith from Vancouver School District said, my son used my credit card to buy her OnlyFans. And since I already had a month subscription, I went ahead and looked too. And it was horrible. You know, there's none of that. Well, I think you bring up a good point that we didn't get any quotes from parents. Nobody's I wonder talking. what the parents locally think. Oh, they're they're excited. Uh, the, the, the dads are, can't wait for parent-teacher conferences now. Oh. <laughs> if mean, that kid gets an A, can I get a discount on the, uh, the only thing subscription? Kid gets an A, and teacher gets a D. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, all you've been right. a bad boy. Yeah. Oh. Get degrees, baby. Tom, um, a- have you ever subscribed or, or paid for for uh, for somebody you you knew of? Like you you were just curious to see what they were putting out there. I have not. I have not. Like I said before, like now if I could buy a Visa debit gift card and do it, I've never tried. You might be able to. I don't know. I haven't, I haven't went that, I haven't went that far, you know, I do, I will say, I'll go on record and say, there are people that I know that have only fans that I've definitely clicked on the link just because I'm interested to see what they're charging. Like, how much do you think you're worth? You know, like I've seen people that I know that are like $7 all the way up to like $35 a month. And so it's it's an interesting pricing dynamic to, to see how much you think you're worth. You know, I think that's a cool dynamic. That's like uh, real life. That's that's like doing some real life econ, baby. Like, you know, how much do you think you're worth? Is there supply demand? You know, what is it? You know, you want to do some real life economics here. How much is that ass worth? You know, in your opinion. So. You see some people that are charged for less and they could go for the less is more approaches. If it's less, I get more subscribers, therefore more money in the end. Or there's some people that think they're worth more than what they are worth and they still might get some, you know, some subscribers. Or if you build a subscriber base, then you can charge more if you're dropping the top content, you know. There's sometimes, Jones, I think we're funny enough that we should do our own Patreon in this show. Right. I don't know how to charge for it, but... You know, Tom, I'll, I'll say this. Um, I'll go on record and say this. Th- there is, like, I think you and... I think you and me... I, I can't speak for Bo, but I, I would bet with you and me, there's, like, a mental list in our mind. It's, it's not very long... But, like, if this girl ever got on OnlyFans or something, 
I'm sorry. I, I would just have to see. Just my my <laughs> curiosity would pick too much. See, and I don't ever feel like I'm cheap. But the one that I would be like, okay, if there was like a full on good content, like we're talking 50, 60 videos and pictures of Jennifer Aniston, I would get a second and I would wait because there would be someone that would leak it. But if they didn't and I had to pay, I'd pay. I sure would pay for Jennifer Aniston. But that's the only one that I can really think of off the top. <laughs> but I think that's a lot of guys, actually. Bo, your your thoughts? Um, I've never been on OnlyFans. I would pay for Scarlett Johansson in a minute, though. <laughs> so there you go. I mean, there's always there's always yeah. I that'd be one. I'd put the credit card down for Scarlett Johansson. I will say that. <laughs> yeah. I think a lot of the allure of OnlyFans is it. It's because the people that pay for it know the person in real life. I think that's the allure to it. I think that's the, I think that's where the money's made. Because you know, I don't know. Back in Bo's day, I mean, they didn't have, you know, the internet wasn't readily available. You couldn't just get it for free. I mean, we had the it was internet. All... It just took forever to download. <laughs> right, right. But it it didn't be, you know. The I'll tell you this too. I'll go on record and say this. I'm not ashamed. My one of my first jobs was um, at the Hillcrest Country Club in Bartlesville, and I was working in the men's locker room. And it wasn't like the locker room like you think it is. It's like uh, guys had lockers there to put their golf shoes and their golf clubs in. That's what it was. And they would put their golf shoes on the counter. You clean the grass off of them. They'd tip you twenty bucks. And but at fifteen, you know, if I did like 10, 12 pairs of shoes, and they're tipping ten, twenty bucks a pop to get them done. Or shine their leather shoes. I never shined any shoes on anybody's feet. They just put them up there. Got real good at shining shoes. I made hella in tips. That's actually what I bought my first car with, was tips from that place. There was an old guy named Milam there. He was probably, probably 60 then. That was 15 years ago. So he either's old now or he's dead. Hope he's still alive. Um, but he's like, hey, I'm going to go on vacation. And this is after I worked there for a couple months. So I had the place down. I was good. And I started to snoop around one slow day there. And I was like, what's behind here? You know, I never really got to look behind here. What's all in these cabinets? There was about a stack of about 50 Playboys. And I was 15 at the time. I was like, oh, dear Lord Jesus. And it was slow in that place. And I called all my boys. I had a dude working in the golf shop. One of my friends worked in the golf shop. My other friend worked as a lifeguard at the pool. And I just texted him. I said, you guys got to see this. And they came running. And I'll tell you what, we spent a whole afternoon flipping through them bad boys. <laughs> we sure did. Uh, I'm not ashamed of it. Uh, that I'll, tell, was, um, I'll tell one more thing. Uh, and then we'll uh, we'll wrap up here, Tom. Um, of OnlyFans and the personal connection thing that you were talking about. Um I'm not at liberty to say who it is. I, I won't say who, but uh, a couple years ago, I was at a NASCAR race, and there was a uh, OnlyFans model that happened to be on a pit road, and she went up to a driver and uh, asked for a photo with him. And you know, they they met right there, and 
and uh, this driver was a married man with with kids, and uh, he uh, she told him what he does, what she does, you know, that she was an OnlyFans model. And all this. Um, within thirty minutes of the race ending, she picked up a new subscriber. <laughs> oh, we know who that is. Actually, you don't. It's not who you think it is, actually. But he didn't drive the FedEx car. Uh, it's not Denny Hamlin. No, it was, I can tell oh, you. Oh, really? It's not Denny Hamlin. I, I hope. Well, I don't know. Is it? It can't be Kyle Busch. No, it's it's not somebody you would think of. But uh, it is. It was very funny to to find out that uh, very quickly she had gained a, a new subscriber. You know? Yeah. Uh, He's just trying to support. Yeah. yeah, he didn't. It, he didn't even look. He's just trying to support a small business, you know. Yeah. <laughs> On that note, we got to go. Who are, who, who are you to tell them not to support a small business in America? I'm not saying not to. Uh, we love small businesses. O'Connor Advisory Group, OAGKS.com. O'Connor Advisory Group. <laughs> <laughs> we got to go. Big thanks to uh, Brian Haney for joining us. Uh, also, Coach Bo and Tom as well. Subscribe to the show. New episodes out each and every week, uh, wherever you're listening to podcasts, Apple, Spotify, Google Podcasts. Uh, also, check out the Studio Soapbox Network. Uh, this show, Coach Bo's show, Let's Go Racing uh, as well. New episodes out uh, wherever you listen to podcasts there. And uh, follow us on social media, facebook.com slash Tyler Jones Live, facebook.com slash Studio Soapbox, Twitter at Tyler Jones Live. Twitter uh, at Thomas underscore Bridges and uh, at Studio underscore Soapbox. Instagram, Tyler Jones Live, Jones underscore Report. It's Thomas. You can find us there. For our entire group, Tyler Jones, thanks so long. Thanks for joining us. We'll see you back here on the Jones Report next week.